0: Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message.
1: I want to begin our thinking and our conversation by uh, committing to us that as Christians, one of the areas that we always need to grow in, is our awareness of the spiritual realm not to be scared of that not you know not not to go with a stigma of the world around the spiritual realm uh, we're meant to operate in the spiritual realm grow in our revelation of the spiritual realm learn what it is to engage with it effectively and according to the biblical pattern without being spooky or anything like that, uh, I want us to know that uh, there's a field of blessing, there's, there's, just like there's a geography, Uh, around, you know, where we can place ourselves, there's a field of blessing and there's a field of cursing. There's a realm of blessing that I can operate in and there's a realm of cursing and barrenness and hardship and thistles and, and thorns that I could actually operate in, even as a Christian. Now, while Jesus truly According to the book of Galatians chapter 3, and by the way, I want to encourage you to take some notes today. No, 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 I don't feel better about myself when you do. But, but I do believe that it's the opportunity for later on God to continue to engage you in what God is saying and to unpack things. In the book of Galatians chapter 3 and verses 13 to 14, it says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the nations. That There's a realm of cursing and a realm of blessing that we are redeemed to. But the truth is that what your experience in life is, what you experience, is totally up to the decisions of where you position yourself spiritually. For example, Jesus says in the book of John chapter 10 and verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he shall go in and out and find pasture. Meaning, if you use the door appropriately, you'll position yourself in a life of fulfillment and fruitfulness. The question then is, does the door bring you in or does the door keep you out? Well, both. It depends on how you position yourself in the door. Can you see on one side of a the door there's a field of blessing on the other side of a the door there's actually a field of barrenness and cursing. So today the subject matter that we're going to speak into is actually one of the most pivotal for a Christian. Not I'm not talking about an unbeliever, I'm talking about a Christian because it could spiritually position you in a field of blessing. It can position your life under an open heaven where you engage with the goodness of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the angelic. Or you can literally surrender yourself to the realm of the demonic. Youch! Truth from the Word of God. So I want to begin our thinking. I want to begin our conversation from the second book of Samuel chapter 15. We're going to platform from the life of a man called Ahithophel. Give me a wave if you heard of Ahithophel. Give me a wave. Nice high wave. Ahithophel. Awesome. Please, if you have a son, don't call him Ahithophel. Okay. 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 12. Have a look at what the Bible says about him. Absalom, who was David's son. David was the king of Israel and the spiritual leader of Israel. Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite. David's counselor, from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. Let's just stop there for a minute. We are introduced to Ahithophel for the first time in Scripture. And the Bible tells us that Ahithophel was David's counsellor. Who knows that if you're going to be the counsellor of the president, the counsellor of the spiritual leader, you've got to be a bit of a spiritual heavyweight. You've got to have a spirit of wisdom. You've got to have something to say. You are dealing with the man who shapes nations. You are dealing with the man who governs God's people. You're not going to be a lightweight. You're going to be a loaded gun. We are introduced to him as the counsellor of David. We're also introduced to him the first time that he's offering sacrifices, meaning that he's a worshipper. He's not just a man who has a lot of cognitive power. He's a man whose heart is with the Lord. He's in a posture of worship. He's offering sacrifices and worship. He knows the ways of God and he engages the ways of God because it's not about what you know, it's about what you assimilate into your life. And he seemed to be the kind of man that would assimilate worship in his life. He's a worshiper. What a good start. Let's go to the next chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 16. Have a look at verse 23. It's written that the advice of Ahithophel which he gave in those days was if one had inquired at the oracle of God. Stop there. Wow. Bible records that when you heard from Ahithophel, when you heard the word that he had to speak, what he had to bring forward, it was like a microphone. The Lord was using his vocal cords for, for the word of God to come in such power, it was like you were hearing from God himself. Can you see what's going on here? Yeah. We're, we're not talking about somebody who's, who's a novice. We are talking about somebody who is, whoosh, could make you speak in tongues of just one word. On. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. All the advice was, so was all the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave to David and Absalom. The, the guy's unbelievable. Can you see the caliber? Yeah. Okay. Now, if you read on in the story, you find that Ahithophel ends up betraying David and ends up suiciding. The Bible tells us that something seemingly strange had taken place where Ahithophel, all of a sudden, there's a conspiracy from David's son, Absalom, to overthrow the throne. And all of a sudden, it seems like a Ahithophel does something so out of character. He goes up to Absalom and he gives him two pieces of advice. The first piece of advice was, hey, take all your father's concubines to the rooftop of Israel before all of Israel and have sex with them all in the sight of Israel. Yeah, well, the young man was like, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, okay. If you force me to, okay. But that was designed to break David's heart. That was designed to disgrace David. The second piece of advice was even worse. It was a plot to weaken David to a point of vulnerability where then he would be killed, he would be murdered. The king that he had served all his life, the anointed one of God. Now we need to come to this point in the story and ask a very important question. What on earth could make such a spirit-filled person who is filled with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, who is a worshipper of God, who is filled with wisdom, who is in a position of prominence? As a matter of fact, Psalm 41 verse 9, David refers to him, my own familiar friend, which was the word in Hebrew, a phrase that was used if you were a champion or a husband for someone such influencer what would make a person of that kind of spiritual caliber turn into the likeness of a demon hello what on earth would make a person because we're not beyond it. what would make a person do that now here's the thing as we continue reading we get a little bit of insight as to what's going on we begin to see that something was happening on the inside of a Hethophel that would work its way out of him sooner or later. Something was eating him on the inside so badly, he was chained to a past event so badly that sooner or later it was going to manifest. What is that something? Well, 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 2 Samuel 23, when you put them together, the chronology that is in there, you see clearly that Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. Now, three people got it. <laughs> the rest are like, dude, that's awesome for you. We're like, what's that got to do with it? Okay, nine years earlier, King David, who has a stack of wives... And a whole bundle of harem sees a woman from his rooftop bathing, and she, the Bible says, was a hottie. Read it, it's in the messenger. <laughs> so David brings her over, gets her pregnant, and the man of God that David is, instead of confessing it in order to hide his sin and what he did, the husband, by the name of Uriah the Hittite, who was out fighting the battles instead of David, where David should have been, is called back and murdered by King David. It was that Bathsheba whose grandfather was a Ahithophel. And you see... Ahithophel had every right to be wounded. He did that to his little princess. You know what I'm saying? He ruined her, got her pregnant. It wasn't enough all the women that he had, but he also killed her husband. And if somebody did that to your little princess, you can totally understand why you would be angry. You can totally understand what would happen inside any human that gets violated, betrayed, damaged in that way. You can totally understand that. But here's what I want to say to us. I want to say to us that the woundedness that sometimes is sown, whether it be by people or by the demonic, is not meant to be an acid that lives and resides inside your container forever. Because acid has a way of destroying the container I cannot drink poison and expect you to die. So Ahithophel finds himself that now there's a root of bitterness that has taken its seed in his heart. A root that now is germinating in his heart. The Bible calls it a root of bitterness. Bitterness. You know why it calls it a root? There's at least two really important reasons for us to know. The first reason why it's really important to know that it's called a root is because you know a root is never ever seen, is it? It's always underground, isn't it? A root is always underground. See, it goes on. No one around you knows what's going on. Nobody can see what's going on. Only you and God know what's actually going on in the heart toward the offender. It's a root. A root also has a way of germinating, doesn't it? It has a way of latching on, getting deeper and deeper. Time does not heal. Getting deeper and deeper and latching on to other stuff to stabilize it. It goes into your soul. It goes into your emotions. It goes into your thinking. The second and maybe even more important reason why it's called a root. It's called a root because it anchors you. To a past event. When something is rooted, it does not move. So everybody else is moving in life. And you look on the outside like you're moving. But on the inside, you're stuck. You're chained to the past event. That's why it's a root. Now here's what I want to commit to us. There are so many people in the world... So many people in the world that have not dealt with past hurts. There are so many people in the church that have not dealt with past hurts. And the Lord does not bring this word to our attention today in order to to, to condemn us. The Lord's intention is that he would unburden us from the unbearable burden of the past. That he would set you free. But in order to be set free, we got to see it for what it is. Let's talk some more. Book of Hebrews chapter 12 will come up on the screen. Book of Hebrews chapter 12. Have a look at what the writer of the Hebrews says. Work at living in peace with everyone. Hey, flashlight. (laughs) If you're going to live at peace with everyone, it's actually going to take some work. Okay? Don't just hang out with people that make you feel good and avoid everybody else that doesn't. Actually, work at it. Okay? All good. Work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. See, you know why holiness and hatefulness cannot dwell in the same container? That's why, let's go to verse 15. Have a look at what happens. Verse 15. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Can you see that? we are talking to believers. The writer of the Hebrews is talking to believers and he's telling them you could literally displace yourself spiritually from the grace of God. You can fail to receive the grace of God. The grace of God is totally available, but I've got to position my life under the grace of God, a field of blessing, not a field of cursing. That's why Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, which means that we could be weak in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It depends on where I position myself. He says, fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble. You see, poison could never be localized. When a person is injected with any kind of poison, it doesn't just kind of enter that part of a body and remain in that part of a body, it begins to infiltrate the body. It begins to take over. It begins to dominate you mentally. The offence begins to take up real estate in your mind that it's not designed to take up. Preoccupies your thinking. And that space that God does not want allocated to the offence or to the poison of the offence, that space... For the Holy Spirit to engage you with vision and faith. You know, it, it depresses you emotionally. Have you noticed when there's an offence in our heart against a brother or a sister, it has a way of depressing us emotionally, doesn't it? So many people have anxiety and, 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 and have depression. And they haven't joined the dots that at the actual root of that, there's actually an offence that is not forgiven. It's, it's unbelievable. As a matter of fact, it plays out physically. Have you noticed? You, you talk to a lot of GPs and they'll tell you, a lot of people that have ulcers, have gland issues, have high blood pressure issues. It's not even physical. It's not even physical at the root of it. There's a seed of bitterness. It's, it's, that, that's why it's unbelievable. Bring back my verse because it actually gets even more alarming the, the root of bitterness grows to trouble you, but have a listen to this, corrupting many. Yeah. You know why? Because it doesn't just remain in my heart. Sooner or later, it's going to come out of my mouth. Yeah, right. Sooner or later, I'm going to tell somebody. And, and we're good at our Christianese rationalization. As a matter of fact, the word rationalize is made up of two words, rational and lies. We rationalise it. We say, oh, you know, I was telling them because I needed to warn them. Hello. I needed to warn them. I needed to tell them about that person. Well, really, all you're trying to do is you're trying to get them back. But I want to tell you today that you can never heal by hurting somebody else. I want to tell you that there's no way that you can heal every time you talk about it, every time you whisper about it, every time you pass it on, yeah. you are wounding yourself, not the other person, because you cannot heal if you keep peeling the scab. Come on. Yeah. Come on. That's why the Bible says that it corrupts not just the person, it corrupts a community. Yeah. It begins to potentially place a community from under a field of blessing. The whisperer separates the best of friends. Then it divides a community and then puts an entire community, not even a person, instead of a field of blessing, a field of cursing. Now, I'm going to just go a little bit deeper and then the Holy Spirit will bring some resolution to this. I want to tell us that when Jesus taught, he was teaching on this subject matter in such a confronting way that we can't afford to miss it. He says it plainly, but it's so shocking because it's so plain. The disciples say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus said, okay, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive Those who trespass against us, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, etc. What a fantastic prayer, right? Jesus, 10 out of 10. (laughs) 10 out of 10, what a prayer warrior. Now the Messiah could have taught on anything. The rabbi of all rabbis, truth personified. I am the way that truth and the life could have said anything. And then the word of God, Jesus Christ, and the word that is on the print is designed to transfer the truth that lives and abides in God into you and I. So he could have commentated on anything. I mean, he could have spoken about our Father, what that means. You could have spoken about, hallowed be your name or your, your will be done on earth. I mean, he could have spoken about anything. Do you know the one thing, the one thing that Jesus spoke about In the book of Matthew, chapter 6 and verse 11. See, this is Matthew 5 to 7. Matthew, chapter 5 begins, it's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew, chapter 5 begins with that Jesus went up a mountain and His disciples, that means Christians, would you agree? Those who follow Him came to Him and then He began to teach them. The Sermon on the Mount is for believers. In Matthew, chapter 6 and verse 11, He's one commentary on what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. If you forgive men their trespasses, so will my heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, listen, neither will my heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Is that a little bit confronting? Jesus was talking to disciples and said, if you do not forgive, neither will you be forgiven. And just in case the penny hasn't dropped, At another time, Peter says to Jesus in the book of Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Do the maths. That's at least 490 times, right? Now, it's not literal. But if you want to take it literally, 490 times is a lot of times for somebody to sin against you and you still need to forgive them. True. I'm counting for my kids, and they're very close to the 490. Especially somebody who's on the front row, but I'm not going to tell you what his name is. He's gone through the 490 by the age of three. <laughs> <laughs> no love, you Jerry. 490 times. Jesus isn't talking about 490 times, but you know. Listen to what I believe. Honestly, for me, this is the most confronting teaching of Jesus to disciples. Yeah. It goes on from there, from Matthew 18. It goes on. Jesus, in order to explain to Peter how critical this issue is, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a king who was settling accounts with his servants. Then he calls one of his servants and he says to him, You owe me 10,000 talents. You need to repay it all. The servant says to him, Master, have pity on me. Just be patient with me until I make it up to you. Just, just wait until I can rally it and repay you. Just, just have patience. Give me a little bit of time. You know, us Christians, sometimes we do that. You know, we, we want to repay for our sins. <laughs> Jesus has redeemed us, right? It doesn't work that way. So, so the masters, masters had compassion on him and said, it, it, it's all good, mate. He said, it's all good. I'm actually going to release you from the whole debt. And he went, wow. But then he went to another one of the master's servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And this servant who owed 10,000 says to the one who owns him a hundred denarii, he says to him, hey, you need to repay me back the hundred denarii. And, and that servant uses exactly the same phrase. He says, please have pity on me. Just give me a little bit of time to repay you. But his response is, no, 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 no. You're, you're going to repay me all and I'm going to throw you into prison until you have paid the last cent. Now, open up with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 18 and verses 32 forward. Have a look at this. Book of Matthew 18, 32. His master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant. I want you to see how God sees this. He calls it wickedness, even though he was his servant. He says, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Stop there. What is all that debt? Well, let me translate it for you. That man owed 10,000 talents. Talents back then were either gold or silver. If we're going to translate the, the value of talents to today's economy, if it was gold, 10,000 talents is like 12 billion US dollars. <laughs> That's a little bit too owe, isn't it? <laughs> 12 billion USD. If it was the cheaper currency, so if it was silver, that value, and I don't think it was cheaper, right? Would you agree Jesus doesn't talk cheap? I was telling the first service, he's El Shaddai, not El Cheapo. That's not how Jesus teaches. But if it was silver, it would be 161 million US dollars. Imagine owing... 161 million US dollars to someone. But he exacted 100 denarii. Do you know what 100 denarii was? Three months wages. It's like 20,000 Aussie dollars. He owed 12 billion USD and was owed 20,000 AUD. And and, and lack of forgiveness, what Jesus is saying is, is a little bit like... The debt that we owe God that we forget about when we then want to exact the debt from somebody else. But, but I want to show you the most confronting thing about it. There's a couple of really confronting things. Jesus says his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. I just want us to stop there. I want to invite you to research it all you want in scripture. The delivery to the torturers is the transference of a person living under the covenant, the blessing of God, to the transference to the realm of the demonic. He literally, what Jesus is teaching, is that the person who refuses to forgive the offender walks out from the field of blessing, the field of grace, the field where they engage God's goodness, the field of God's presence, and literally positions him or herself under demonic assail so that they have access to the person's body, so that they have access to the person's relationships, finance, so that they have access to the person's life, hope, destiny. Literally, the person positions themselves, like it says there, deliver him to the torturers, that's unbelievable. Now, like I said, there's actually better news to come, but I want us to see the gravity. I want us to see the importance of this issue. But I know that the Lord has not brought this word to our attention so that we can feel heavy and condemned and, and further burdened. The reason. The Lord has brought this word to you and I is that so we can experience the freedom of what it is to come back to the field of blessing. Because that's God's intention. Now, here's the thing. I I really want us to hear this loud and clear. I am not minimizing one little bit what some of us have may have been through. And the kind of things that we have suffered, you may be sitting there going, yeah, preacher, you can preach all you want, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what they did to me. And, and please hear me. I am not minimizing it. I know that some people sitting in this place have absolutely suffered the horror of sexual abuse and physical abuse from significant others and have been violated to a degree that no human should ever be violated. I know that there's people in this room that even growing up, you suffered crazy social ills and bullying and belittling and rejection that we're, we're not designed to experience at all. I'm, I'm not minimizing that. I know that there's people sitting here that you have been so betrayed by those closest to you. Those who should have loved you most, those who should have cared for you, and they betrayed you so badly that they, you were taking a bullet for, but they were the ones behind the trigger. I, 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 I'm not minimizing any of that. I just want what the Holy Spirit wants, which is to get you free from being chained up to the past so that it has no bearing on your future. So here's how simple it is. Every person must be forgiven. Must be forgiven. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, chapter four and verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. You know, the forgiving person is the forgiven person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. really good. But you know what the problem is? The problem is oftentimes we don't really get what does it mean to forgive? That's why we get stuck. Sometimes we think to forgive, that means that God is asking me to say that it was okay, that what happened to you was okay. Please hear it loud and clear. Absolutely not. That's not what it is. You you don't have to be okay with the wrong at all. Call it for what it is. Was it wrong? Yes, it was wrong. You You don't be okay with it. Some people think that forgiveness means that I have to be back in relationship with the offender. That's absolutely not true. Our God is not a sadist. He will not push you back to people who abuse you and misuse you and are not God's heart to you. Boundaries are a good thing. It does not mean you've got to be best friends with the offender. Some people think that forgiveness is weakness because it means that I'm a doormat and people can do to me whatever I want. It doesn't mean that at all. So what is forgiveness? What is biblical forgiveness? Well, it's kind of like the opposite to bitterness. You see, bitterness, the word in the Greek is the word pikria. It means sticky, right? It's stuck to you. It's stuck inside of you. It's attached itself to you. Forgiveness is the opposite. You know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness in the Greek of the Bible is, literally means to detach, to divorce, to send forth. That's all it means, to send forth. Let me illustrate. It's like this. My lungs are filled with oxygen at the minute, right? They're on the inside. But look at this, look. I sent it out. Did you see that? That's pretty easy, right? That's pretty easy. This is how forgiveness works. Forgiveness is not about you feeling a particular way or any of that. Forgiveness is about you releasing the need to retaliate, to avenge, to settle the score to God. That's all it is. You say, God, they hurt me. It hurt like hell. I feel like damaged goods. But God. I release the justice issue 100% to you. I will not seek to retaliate. I will not seek justice. I will not seek to settle accounts. You're the judge. I'm the servant. I release that issue and it's justice to you. The Bible says that at that point in time, that's when the detachment happens. If the worship team can join me, here's here's what I want to say to you. If there is one person in scripture that we could all learn from in this space, it's Joseph. Most of us know the story of Joseph. In preparation, actually open up for me to the book of uh, Genesis chapter 50. But I want to bring this to our attention. Joseph was 17 years of age. Joseph loved his family. Joseph loved the Lord. Joseph had a servant heart. He just wanted to serve people around him. He he was misunderstood to be full of selfish ambition while really all the desire in his heart was to do good to people around him. And Joseph was betrayed at the age of 17 by the most significant others. Who knows that when it's the people closest to you, it hurts the most. And instead of finding himself living in the realm of his dreams, he's impoverished and he's treated like a felon. Instead of being a prince, which was his calling, he finds himself in a prison. Instead of living in a sphere of joy and happiness, he finds himself in confinement in in so many ways. And the apex years of his life, the most wonderful years of life between the age of 17 and the age of 30 seem to be completely robbed by, by such evil. If there was one person in the Bible who had every right to exact justice on unjust brothers, it was Joseph. But the book of Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19 and 20 lets us in on how the man Joseph could have been stuck and chained to a past event, but now how he lived in a field of blessing. The brothers come to him now when he is the second in charge of the the most powerful nation in all the world in its time he could have put the brothers all in a microwave and nuked them and they knew it they knew it they were so afraid they had no other expectation except now was the time of his revenge now was the time of justice look what Joseph says Joseph said to them do not be afraid listen to this am I in the place of God. Joseph is saying, I released the justice issue to the just judge many years ago. Do you think I'm going to be your judge? I am not your judge, there is one who judges. you see the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse nine says vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. And Joseph was like, Lord, I've breathed out that prayer long ago where I said Father forgive them they know not what they do the justice issue is with you I'm not going after it anymore I'm not going to be the one that exacts justice in this situation I'm going to leave that with you for me I'm going to administer mercy isn't it funny how mercy triumphs over judgment you meant it for evil but God meant it for good You see, Joseph was convinced of something that you and I need to be convinced of. That the field of blessing has nothing to do with what others do to you. It has everything to do with what's going on inside your heart. (laughs) So Joseph has two sons. The first son is Manasseh. The second son is Ephraim. These are prophetic names. Manasseh means he has made me forget. The second means fruitful. (laughs) Now get a load of this. When Joseph breathed out the prayer of forgiveness, when Joseph decided I am not going to be their judge, here's what happened. Inner relief came to him. And when he realised that there was such inner relief that didn't come through revenge or bitterness, that it came through forgiveness, he called his first son Manasseh. God has made me forget. The Lord will heal you so deep in your soul that, the way, that there is no other way to bring healing. You, you will experience Manasseh. But you won't only experience Manasseh, the Lord has made me forget. People will talk about the situation and you will forget the details. I'm telling you, God knows how to even reestablish new neurological pathways. The Lord knows how to heal so deeply when we forgive. But then his second son was Ephraim because then he realised, far out, I'm living under an open heaven. It means fruitful. I'm living under an open heaven. I may be in prison, but the, the Spirit of God and the presence of God is so strong on my life. They took my coat, but they could not take my favour. Yeah. He realised fruitfulness is my blood from this incredible single act of Christ-likeness. I feel like that's exactly what we're invited to today. I feel like we're invited by the Holy Spirit, every single one of us today, God doesn't want you chained to any past event. Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. No seed of Satan deserves to be in your heart. They did it to you and it hurt like hell. But today is a day to come back to the field of blessing. To experience Manasseh and Ephraim. So today, literally, what we're going to do is very, very simple. In just a moment, I'm going to ask that we worship together. But during that worship together, I'm going to ask you, if you want to settle it with God, you may be struggling with a woundedness from an event and and the devil wants to chain you to it, but you want to settle it from God, you want to breathe it out. You want to, you want to like, okay, that's it. That's it. It severs today. It severs today. I'm I'm, I'm going to declare, I'm going to align with God and I'm going to declare before all heaven and earth. Lord, I forgive the offender. I send it forth, it shall have no part inside of me anymore. No need to retaliate, no need for vengeance, no need to settle scores. I leave that with a just judge. I administer mercy. I speak blessing over them and I'll leave it with you. But my heart is yours and I belong to a field of blessing.